episode 119, Fostering Problem Solver Nurses Who Might Also Be Maker Nurses. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. In every provider organization, management is pretty hell-bent on enacting policies and measuring metrics. Lots of change, lots of action, and information overload. But I doubt anyone would argue that besides the problems and issues that everybody knows about, there exists deeper, harder-to-measure problems that threaten the durability of provider organizations or the effectiveness of provider organizations. Albert Einstein said, no problem can be solved from the same consciousness that created it. And nurses are in a unique position to be that differing consciousness and to help organizations solve both those underlying problems that no one has quite identified and also the symptomatic and more tangible issues that spawn from them. Today, I speak with Jamie Davis, who is a nurse journalist turning out seven podcasts. He's also the author of a book to simplify medical math. And in his spare time, I don't know how he has any spare time, but in his spare time, he writes fiction with a medical twist. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jamie. Well, it's great to be here. And I want to thank you so much, Stacy, for uh, thinking of me to come on the show. I'm excited to be here. What is it that, what does better look like for a nurse? Well, nurses learn critical thinking skills as part of their education process. It's it's really drummed into us to prioritize, to identify problems before they start to occur, if possible, prioritize which things need to be dealt with immediately, and then to be problem solvers and find adaptive solutions for individual patients and interactively work with the patient to help them become healthier, to help them be more comfortable, to help them heal. And that is done by assessing constantly what's going on with each individual patient whenever we're with them. And that means finding out about their family life and what home is like and who's visiting them that day and everything that goes along with that. Communication with patients, educating patients, all are critical parts of nursing education. It is pretty clear at this point, probably inarguable, that about 80% of a patient's outcomes are derived from factors other than necessarily the things that occur in the clinical setting. So it sounds like from what you're saying by nurses, you know, in a sense, diagnosing the situation or understanding the patient's needs a little bit better, that a nurse has the lens and perhaps the training to be able to understand what the patient's needs are, including the social determinants of health, et cetera. Absolutely. And again, it comes back to that holistic approach that looking at the entire patient. So we're not just looking at, all right, they're in here for gallbladder surgery. So they've had their gallbladder out. They have abdominal surgery. They have incisions that need to be monitored and assessed for drainage and things like that. They have pain that needs to be managed. All of that is associated with that surgery. But what else is going on in that patient's life? Are they in the midst of a messy divorce? When they get home, if it's a young mother, 
Are they going to be expected to care for a bunch of kids in the home setting as soon as they get home from the hospital so that you start to make these assessments and all of these things are going to have an impact on how this patient heals from this single process of the surgery that they've had. And if you don't make yourself aware of those things, if you don't care enough to ask the questions of, well, what's it like at home? And what's going to happen when you get home? Can you, can you tell me what your day is going to be like when you get home from the hospital? If you don't ask those questions, then that patient may well come back to the hospital. And that's a problem for the hospital because, uh, of course, readmissions of patients back to the hospital within 30 days can sometimes, in, in certain situations, cause the hospital not to be reimbursed for that patient's readmission because the insurance industry and primarily Medicare sees that as an indication that the hospital and the healthcare team didn't take care of the problem right to begin with. Rightly or wrongly, there's a lot of discussion about whether that's an appropriate way to handle things, but that's how things are going right now. And the nurses are really a stopgap measure to help ensure that patients don't come back and are able to go home, be discharged safely, and go home to heal. Do you feel like nurses are getting the training that is going to be necessary in order to be able to identify those kinds of factors? I mean, maybe in the past it was a little bit more nurse by nurse. Each individual would determine how many questions they wanted to ask or what questions they were going to ask. But are you seeing institutions, you know, hospitals, providers starting to standardize that aspect of a nurse's duty? It really depends on the facility, unfortunately. Um, There's a certain amount of that education and that critical thinking that is applied at the educational level when a nurse is first educated. But it really is, is incumbent upon the facilities in which they work as that nurse continues to gain experience and further education outside of their initial college experience to help that nurse continue to develop those skills and to utilize resources that the hospital has come up with to assist them in asking the right questions. And for instance, in the case of our gallbladder patient, right? We have a specific set of questions that we're going to ask that patient that if a good facility will have those questions available for the nurse so that they don't forget and miss anything. Now, an an experienced nurse will likely not forget anything, but we should have checklists. We should have lists of things that to make sure we've covered all the bases before this patient gets sent home, again, to keep them from being sent back both. And that's bad for the hospital. And it's also bad for the patient. They they don't want to be in the hospital and readmitted because they've got a post-operative infection and things like that. Uh, They'd rather go home and stay home. So it is all part of a process that improves patient outcomes at the same time it's improving the bottom line for facilities. And, and I think that's one thing that, that hospitals really sometimes miss the boat, facilities and providers, is that nurses are trained to do research and trained to understand the importance of research. And given the opportunities, nurses can be a huge presence in a facility to find ways to improve outcomes using the data that the hospital's already collecting. Uh, and there's plenty of examples of that out there that, that where, where the nurses are helping the bottom line of the hospital at the same time they're improving the outcomes for the patients. And what are some of those examples, Jamie? 
there's a couple of great places to look. I, I One of the ones that I'm really watching right now and have been paying attention to for the last couple of years is the AACN, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. The AACN has a program called the Clinical Scene Investigator Academy. Currently, let me just make sure I get this right, because uh, the CSI Academy is right now has been in six geographic regions of the United States, including 42 hospital systems, and have trained 163 staff nurses. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but what these nurses learn to do is to, it's a a leadership generation program. So they're taking new nurses, they're taking bedside nurses, and they're saying, you can be a leader in your facility. We're gonna train you how to find and identify a problem that you're dealing with as a nurse at the bedside that's impacting patient care and impacting your hospital's bottom line. And we're going to teach you the skills you need to go out there and collect the data, implement a program that will seek to improve that process or that outcome and collect the data on the back end to see if the improvement actually worked. And to date, they've trained these 163 staff nurses and have improved outcomes markedly in things like hospital-acquired infections, improving mobility rates for patients just post-surgically. There's all kinds of things that nurses do on a day-to-day basis, but by making little tweaks to the ways we do our process, these hospitals have identified through these leader nurses the opportunity to see huge cost savings because of process improvements at the same time that they've improved patient outcomes and have improved and gotten higher patient quality scores. Do you think that the goals of those process improvement initiatives were handed down by leadership? Or do you think that it was a nurse who raised his or her hand and said, hey, I think we could do better with HIAs. You know, I I see something happening, which could be better. Well, in the case of the CSI program, they usually put together a team of three to five nurses in a facility, train them through this academy over the course of 18 months. That includes in that 18 months, it also includes their research process. And they've come up with identifying the problem. These are things that nurses are butting their heads against every single day. And a lot of times they just push through and and muddle their way through it because they don't know that there's a better process or opportunity out there or they're not given the opportunity to say, hey, if you see a problem, tell us about it and you can be part of the fix. And and that comes down from leadership. So it, it both comes from the bottom up, from the nurses identifying problems and being empowered to make change happen. And it also comes from the top down, instituting that open culture of shared decision making that can make a facility just truly one of the best healthcare places on the planet, really. I mean, it sounds like a grandiose thing to say, but um, when everything comes together in the healthcare team, you really see some facilities out there that are just amazing at taking care of patients. And the numbers bear it out, whether it's infection rates, whether it's patient readmission rates. You can look at the data that's collected by the federal government and identify those facilities around the country that are knocking it out of the park every single day. And it's because I think largely that they empower their staff, including the nurses, to improve the process as it goes along. It's funny that you say that because a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I interviewed Dr. Paul Rosen, and he was giving this example of a quality improvement program that they were trying to implement at their hospital. 
which involved numbing the point of injection before giving a shot to a child. And what they found was that the program failed pretty much. I mean, it just wasn't getting implemented. And then at some juncture, somebody figured out that in order to get the numbing agent, a nurse had to go through like 16 steps. I mean, there's like requisition forms and all this stuff. So, I mean, it was just so difficult to do that the that it wasn't happening. And what occurred to me in that moment when this was, when he was describing this is that why didn't a nurse say something? You know what I mean? Like, why did it take, it almost sounded like it took somebody doing some reconnaissance to figure out this 18-step process. And I just kind of wondered, if you were going to diagnose a situation like that, w- would you say that maybe the nurses weren't exactly like you said, empowered to speak up and, and this was something? Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I'd say that either the nurses weren't empowered to speak up or on the other side, the flip side of it, no one was listening. And it takes two to tango, right? I mean, it's it, nurses see ourselves as leaders in the hospital setting because of our unique position as advocates for our patients. And we need to step up when we see something going on. But were nurses involved in the planning of, of that trial? You know, that's a question you need to ask. If you're going to implement a, a trial in your facility that is trying out a new process or procedure uh, as a healthcare member of the healthcare management team, you better include nurses on the process of, of putting that trial together because it's going to get implemented by nurses downstream. And if you want to avoid some of these types of roadblocks and these speed bumps that happen along the way in any research trial, they happen. The way to smooth them out is to have the nurses bought in that this is a good idea and we're going to find out something that's going to make everyone's lives better at the other end. No nurse wants to hurt a child with an injection. And if we can cause a child to have a pain, a nearly pain-free injection, that's a great thing. Was that explained to the nurses that were involved in the trial and implementing the trial downstream is a question that I would ask right away. Because if the nurses understood that, perhaps they'd say, well, it's going to be hard to do this because of my time constraints, because of the process needed just to check out the new trial medication. And, you know, again, was anyone listening? Did somebody bring it up and no one heard them? Or were the nurses not empowered to say, well, this isn't going to work the way you think it is because the process is going to break down before you ever start to collect data? What you're saying is echoing in my mind a, I can't even remember who it was, so I apologize to completely butcher the any attribution, but someone was talking about how it's typical in provider organizations that there's some QI department, you know, quality improvement department, and the quality improvement department is running around improving quality, but that the individual departments themselves are sort of sidebars to the whole operation. So the quality improvement team might manage to come up with some process or something, but because the management and the personnel and the team in the individual departments has very little to do with it, it is very unlikely that that quality improvement has any chance of being sustained. Well, and it comes down to the concept of silos in any organization, right? You're within your little silo and nothing that comes from outside gets through the walls or into where you are. 
you're in this little tube where you can look up and see daylight, but you don't get a whole lot of feedback or in input from the outside. You you come in, you do your job the way you've always done it. Nothing changes. Yeah, you know, people are resistant to change, so you have to give them a reason for it. And 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 I'm like to think that nurses are some that are going to be able to see a way around that, but they're people too, and they're gonna they're gonna resist change because we get into our routines. So you have to get buy-in. A good quality improvement program in any facility or any, I don't care if it's manufacturing cars or ball bearings or hospital settings, a good quality improvement program includes representatives from every one of those silos. I the most important thing that a quality improvement program can do is identify the individual silos within their system and then have a representative, a respected representative from that silo as part of the quality improvement program in some way, shape or form. So that when the time comes to implement something that's going to affect and work within that silo area of the hospital, you have someone who can go in there and explain to them why this is going to help them do their jobs better. It's going to make their lives easier. It's going to help their patients out. It's going to make it so they're not quite as tired when they go home. It's going to reduce the number of back injuries they have, whatever the case may be. Once you can have that person come back from the QI department and say, all right, we're going to do a new program on lifting patients and it's going to help you guys stop having the back pain you're having. Well, every healthcare professional that deals with bedside care is going to appreciate that. But if it's not explained to them, if it's just told, all right, you're going to watch this video and learn how to do this, and this is the way we're going to do it from now on, well, where's the why? <laughs> good and, luck with that, right? <laughs> you know, a, 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 a good friend of mine has always told me whenever you want to accomplish something, whether it's a personal goal or an institutional goal, you have to know your why. If the people involved don't know the reason why it's going to be better for them or better for the organization – there's no chance of getting it across the front door. Yeah. What do they say? When you lose your why, you lose your way. Mm -hmm. So last time that we were talking, you used a term which I had never heard before, but which I cottoned onto immediately, which is the idea of maker nurses. What's a maker nurse? It's actually part of this whole maker revolution that's going on out there. And it's largely been brought about by the advent of the 3D printing industry. And so there are some facilities out there that most of them associated with with uh, university systems where they have uh, engineering departments that are already using 3D printers to create new cogs and new devices and build machines from the ground up piece by piece. And someone's brought that 3D printing technology into the hospital setting. And then they've gone out there and talked to people on the individual floors and involved in patient care, the nurses, the techs, everybody, and said to them, you know, if you have a problem that you can't solve with the equipment you have, if you ever said to yourself, you know, I could use this tool to do this job if it only bent right here at the end, 30 degrees. Right. And it sounds it sounds interesting, silly, but uh, a lot of times, you know, a nurse will say I could do my job better if this tool was shaped differently. Well, now that nurse is empowered in these hospitals with these maker facilities to go in, work with a design person who's kind of sits there and helps them navigate the technology and they scan the tool that they want to change. 
they get a 3D imprint of it, they put it in the system, they make adjustments, they print out a prototype, they try it, it doesn't work, they go back, they modify it, they try it again, it's a little bit better, they modify it again. And at the other end of the day, they have an, a tool that improves their process and in, makes it easier for them to do their job. And they're able to accomplish more tasks in a day because they've got a process improvement tool. The neat thing about this is this can be done on a patient-by-patient -patient basis. So maybe you have a problem that only one patient in a thousand is ever going to have. and if, But if you had the perfect tool, you could make that patient's life 100% better while they're in the hospital. Well, if that nurse has a maker facility there and they are empowered to go use it, maybe they go and create that one-time use tool that helps that patient be more comfortable. Or in some cases, those tools then get used across an entire unit because one nurse used it for their critical care patient and another nurse next at the next bed said, wow, that's really cool. You know, I could use something like that for this patient. So they print out another one and give it to them. And so what we see in these facilities is that entire units are using new tools that have been developed and created by the nurses for specific uses that they've discovered in the course of their jobs. And they sometimes then expand beyond that to be used throughout the hospital or in some, and in some limited cases, they actually become products that go out and reach the wider market because somebody said, I wish I had a better tool to do this job. And they were, again, it's about empowerment. They were empowered through these, one of these maker programs to build it from the ground up or to take an existing tool and modify it so that it does the job a little bit better. Which is exactly the best way to invent anything. You know, you start with a need and then you figure out how to fill that need. Do you have any examples of very specific things which were created by a maker nurse? And specifically, uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation actually has given grants to these maker facilities around the country. And it includes places like the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston or the Little Devices Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So MIT themselves are working with area hospitals to do this kind of thing. And it's about teaching your nurses. And, and I don't want to limit this to nurses because this could be something that could be implemented by a bedside tech or part of our janitorial staff. Anybody that sees a problem that needs a different type of solution that is not on the market can be develop something that makes a change for positive effect in the hospital setting. And when you look at like things like the little devices lab at MIT has put out there, they've basically looked and implemented all kinds of things from robotics design. So it's not just 3D printing, but uh, they, they're using actually robotics technology that's simple to easy to program simple interconnected tools that can be put together in a click and play kind of environment to create something that does something that no other piece of equipment in the hospital does. It is really an exciting frontier. And if you're in a larger facility with a, with a university nearby and you don't know about this program, it, it might be worth your time to reach out to the head of the Department of Engineering at that local university and uh, see if they're interested in some kind of a partnership. Because this kind of thing is going to be, I think, the future of healthcare, where we basically bring patients in and we print out custom parts for their medical equipment on site, and every patient has a customized setup just for them. And if you are 
a leader and, you know, an executive in a healthcare facility, what advice might you have for a leader to help manage to that a maker nurse environment? Like I could see that there's some challenges in that, you know, so say there's one patient that has an issue and it's going to take the nurse 17 hours to figure out how to do something. You know, it's like how's the evaluation that the time cost ratio there calculated or is it, I don't know, I'm going to pose it to you. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure, but I know that they're seeing good outcomes from this and they're seeing positive outcomes. One of the things that that having a facilitated person in there operate that works with them is, you know, a nurse can walk into a room and say, I need this, but I need it to be able to do this new process with this, this existing tool slightly tweaked to do something else. And they hand it to the person and they walk out, right? Mm -hmm. And that person goes and does a little research, sees if anything exists out there that does that. If that, maybe somebody in another hospital's already designed it. The neat thing about this maker process is it's all open source. So all the designs that most of these places have ever made sit in a cloud somewhere where uh, somebody else can pull it down and say, oh, they, they almost got to the same thing I'm trying to do. So, you know, the nurse comes back during a break or maybe at the beginning of their next shift and the, the person says, here's what I came up with. See if it works. So, you know, we're not having the nurse in there tweaking. These machines, you know, they can take an hour or two to develop a complex piece of equipment, you know, building it piece, you know, brick by brick, essentially, at the molecular level. You know, the nurse isn't sitting there the whole time while this is being developed. They're, they come in with an idea, they quickly come up with a, a, a potential solution, and they walk away and let the person in the maker lab build it for them. So I think that it's it's cost effective in that respect. And we're not seeing nurses just not on the floor taking care of patients because they're in the maker lab all day. It needs to be implemented in an efficient manner so that everyone can get the solutions they need from this type of a, a process, but that their time is used efficiently because a nurse's time is best spent at the bedside. Every piece of research out there says that the more time we can get nurses at the bedside, the better patient outcomes are. And and that's that's a quantifiable number that anybody that's in healthcare leadership, they've seen the research come across that says exactly that. The more nurse hours per patient at the bedside, the better the outcomes are. So we don't want the nurses spending all their time down there. But if we have a dedicated engineer that's part of this process, and maybe they're an intern from the local university, so the costs are kept down, they build it and then take and then take it to the nurse. And the nurse says, oh, it almost it almost does what I want it to do. Can you do this, this and this to it? And then the engineer goes back and, be, you know, let the engineer be the engineer. Let the nurse be the nurse. I think that would be a pretty cool opportunity for a nurse. It just sounds like a, a very interesting addition to a day which can probably get repetitious, especially if you're trying to, you know, it's repetition dealing with the same exact problem over and over and over again. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing more frustrating. <laughs> and and with all the nurses that are coming into the, the career path from other careers that they've had previously, there are nurses out there who used to be engineers. And there's an opportunity here for maybe that nurse who has the clinical background, who speaks nurse language, to work as an engineer again, but in a healthcare setting where they're actually dealing with, with patients directly and helping to implement these person-by-person person changes to their care uh, through the use of this technology. There's opportunities out there for nurses to be involved directly as a dedicated staff member for this job. But ultimately, 
as long as there's good communication and nurses generally are pretty good at that, this could be an improvement that helps everyone. I know we have touched on aspects of this throughout this conversation, but if you were going to just summarize some advice maybe for the executives of a provider organization to help them empower nurses, and then on the flip side, if you're a nurse, how do you get yourself empowered? How would you summarize? I'll start from the back end of that question and work up. First, from, from the nurse's standpoint, you know, as a nurse, you're trained to be a leader in nursing school because you're trained to facilitate management of uh, ancillary staff to help you accomplish the job you need to do with caring for a patient, whether that's bedside techs, nursing assistants, housekeeping staff, uh, everyone. Uh, you're, you're the coordinator of care at the bedside. So that's a leadership position. If there are opportunities in your facility to step up and join a commission or join a committee or attend functions that are outside of your your normal workplace duties so that you can meet other people in, in other areas of the hospital, take that opportunity, become that leader that goes beyond. And I think you're going to see great improvement to your career path and opportunities open up for you that you just didn't weren't even aware existed. From the other side of things, from that hospital executive, I would talk to your nurse leader, your chief nursing officer in your facility, your nurse managers, you know, pull them in and ask them what are the opportunities out there for nurses to participate in the improvement of care at this hospital. If you already meet with the nurse managers and you're not getting a good answer to that, then maybe it's time for you to, to start a, a luncheon with a selected member of nursing the nursing team from every unit in your hospital and get a chance to meet them. And over time, you will develop a rapport with these nurses at the bedside so that they feel comfortable talking to you, that they feel comfortable talking to their managers, that they know their voice is going to be heard. Change is going to happen. It happens slowly, and, it, and, and that's part of any institutional process. But sometimes just knowing that your voice is heard is enough to empower a nurse to continue to do their job well and continue to offer chances for improvement across the board. They don't have to have everything they suggest be implemented. They just need to know that they're being listened to. Sage advice, my friend. So you, besides being the host of the nursingshow.com and what was the disaster show you were just talking about? Oh, um, disaster podcast. I have seven different shows I do. I'm a full-time nurse journalist, so I work in, in media all the time now. Besides that, let me just toss in. You also, uh, you're a busy guy. You also write fiction with a with a medical twist, and you wrote a book called Med Math Simplified. <laughs> Where can people find out about all of your various very interesting pursuits? Well, if you want to look me up uh, for my novels or my uh, study aids and things like that for nurses and other healthcare professionals, you can always look me up under Jamie Davis, J A M I E Davis on uh, anywhere you buy books, uh, you should be able to find them uh, there and in both hardback and ebook form or paperback, I should say, in ebook form. And then um, if you're looking for my programming, uh, the, the shows I do, you can go to mediccast.com. So there's two C's in the middle there, M-E-D-I-C-C-A-S-T.com. And there's a list there uh, of all the programs I do. That's kind of the central hub from which you can find the nursing show, the disaster podcast, the uh, Health Tech Weekly podcast, uh, all those shows that I do are available there. 
Well, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Jamie. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. It's really been a lot of fun. I, I'm sure you could probably tell I'm passionate about this kind of thing. I think we can all work to improve patient care, and it just takes little steps along the way to get there. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.